encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Welcome in, listeners, to another episode of the Fergie Fledglings podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined as always by Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel. Uh, Man United coming off a 2-0 win over Everton at the weekend, uh, and a win that probably should have been more than 2-0, but we'll take it. Um, unfortunately, also some injury news to talk about, but uh, Polly, you wrote about this game in pretty straightforward win it felt like but the the goals just weren't really coming at first um what what was it other than just pelting Everton until they they broke through that got United over the line Everton being really 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 atrocious um Everton came uh, Everton did one of those things uh, as much as Brentford just had no interest in playing Everton came out as if Sean Dyche had done his homework and, and looked at that Newcastle game and said, oh, this is how you beat United. If you press their defenders high and and their goalkeeper and press them high on goal kicks, they kind of panic with the ball. They can't get settled and they make mistakes or they, at the very least, they, they can't get their attack going. So we should do that. Except Sean Dyche is kind of a sit back, park the bus manager and Everton's team is not even close to a team that's used to playing from the front like that. And it, it just didn't look like he knew how to coach them and what to do, but just so, sort of did some video sessions with them and said, we're going to push up high. And their front players didn't really pressure uh, at any of our defenders. They let Harry Maguire like walk out of the back with the ball. They left Bruno with time and space galore in the midfield but they still played with that suicidally high line and United were just like, yeah, we're just going to pummel you with long balls over the top constantly. Bruno had a bunch. Malasia had one. Maguire had one. De Gea had one. And it was just Rashford, Anthony running behind, running behind, running behind. And Jordan Pickford on Rashford, just a couple where he like flung out an arm or a, a leg and somehow got the ball. And then on Anthony, it was like on Anthony, you saw there were some there were a few replays that like showed where I was just like, if Anthony like scuffs the shot with his right foot and it just rolls into the near post, it goes in because Jordan Pickford was leaning completely the other way before Anthony shot this ball because he knew Anthony is just going to put this on his left foot and go for the far post. Um, so a lot of good chances. Should have been more than two. Everton kind of fixed their mistakes in the second half, and that's sort of why United didn't really do anything in the second half. Their their one goal came on an individual mistake when Seamus Coleman um, misplayed the ball. Um, but yeah, like in terms of one team being, it, this was a very fun game to watch, but United did a lot of things well, but don't expect that going forward because you're not going to get too many teams that play as poorly as Everton did. Yeah, Nathan, I know you didn't uh, get to watch the match live um, because it was early. Yeah, very, very early in the day. You know my rule. Uh, after well, you guys had a match on Friday too, right? Uh, well, we, yeah, we did have a match on Thursday night that went into Friday morning 
uh, due to multiple lightning delays. It was it was uh, pretty raw. Soccer in the South, baby. Yeah, right. But this game is on Saturday, so yeah. Well, um, it was still at seven thirty in the morning, though. You know my rule: I don't set alarms. <laughs> Uh-huh. But but even watching this after the fact, it seemed. I mean, you you texted us. Your reaction was, "How did they not score more?" Yeah, um, I w- I was quite baffled as as I was on a uh, a lovely Saturday day trip uh, with my partner. Uh, we both went we went to this beautiful bookstore in Fredericksburg. Uh, got some uh, German food, uh, some Belgian chocolates. It was it was quite a wonderful morning. And I thought to myself, how does Manchester United have 29 shots with 11 on target and only two goals? Um, watching it, it, it and Polly uh, made the comment in the group chat, it seems like Jordan Pickford had a pretty good game, uh, did a good job of making himself big on a lot of those one-on-one chances where you're kind of looking at Rashford, you're looking at Anthony, kind of hoping that they finish more of those. And we, for the most part, Rashford's done better this year finishing those. Um, didn't didn't happen against Burnley on, on Saturday. I mean Everton. Um, no yellow cards in the game, which seems really bizarre to me as well. Like looking back on it, um, I just go. There weren't was, a lot of tackles. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I the just ball assume, kept moving a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, you just assume going into that match, like someone's going to get really shitty at some point, especially with like Scott McTominay being your one of your goal scorers, like. You, you cannot take that kind of disrespect laying down everything. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and know, I, not... I didn't actually, I didn't think Rashford was had bad finishing. Cause I, I thought that was more Pickford just getting really lucky than, than bad finishing. Anthony, I thought could have done a little bit better. Um, obviously Juan Basaka missed an open net. It, it was just every time you looked up, it was, Oh my God, we're running at them again. Like we've, we've talked about as much as I just said, they didn't know how to press. Like we've talked about the difference between pressing and counter pressing. They very much had no counter press. And every time there was like a 50, 50 ball that United came out of, it was one pass and it was just, Whoa, uh, how are we already? Like, how are they so out of position where Bruno's got time and space and it's an easy pass to Anthony Sabitzer, Rashford, Sancho, whoever. And they're turning up the pitch and just running straight at, Everton and it was back and forth and then it was it was fairly early in the game where you were you just had that dread you were just like oh Jordan Pickford's gonna have one of those games where we've we've seen it so many times where the goalkeeper comes to Old Trafford and just stands on his head and United dominate the match and come away with nothing because goalkeeper and that's where the other like I, I think the long ball, the long ball is the big thing that everybody's going to take away is, whoa, we just kept playing balls over the top, over the top, over the top. Very obvious to see with the naked eye. The other, I think there was a more subtle tactic in there that I didn't catch until I rewatched the match. And that's, that's how McTominay scored the goal was these, they were making these very specific runs of getting between the center backs going in front of the it was typically when the ball was on the right side they'd get in front of the right center back and run between the two and then cut sharply towards the near post and it started with Sancho Rashford did it Sabitzer did it McTominay did it and scored and that sort of I think that was how they there there was a clear plan here of like this is how we're going to get in between Everton this is how we're going to beat Jordan Pickford you know, get those things and then shoot, I guess, on the near post. And you would 
you'd find that that vulnerability and that was that's how they got they got that goal i think i think the the long balls was sort of a circumstantial thing they were like whoa everton are playing a high line we can beat them with this because we have rashford and anthony and hey look these things are open keep trying it um but the those runs between the center back towards the near post make it a straight pass get in front of the center back so you're not trying to you know sneak sneak into this into the back post and have to pass it through people, but get in front of that guy. I think that was the game plan coming in. And that's what they were trying to do and target. And it just turned into like, Hey, look, these long balls are open too. So why not try them if they're there? Yeah. I I know we talked about how Brentford's approach to Man United was a little bit of a surprise. Everton's approach was definitely a surprise. Um, It, it was disappointing. I thought, we I didn't thought Everton win. played like the way Brentford, you would expect Brentford to play and Brentford played the way you would expect Everton to play. Yeah. I mean, it, it was disappointing. They only scored two, uh, but a win is a win. And coming out of the stretch that United were coming out of, uh, just getting three points from these matches is really important. They've gotten away fixture at Nottingham Forest. That's another one. They absolutely have to win. Um, and then I don't think they play again in the league until yeah April 27th when they play until Tottenham. Tottenham on the road so it's uh we need to talk about too about how Marcus Rashford left this game hurt uh Luke Shaw also missed this match with an injury uh his status is unknown because that's how the club are with injuries um as they should be yeah um Marcus Rashford, Eric Tanag sounded not super confident about his availability after the match, but uh, we still haven't gotten any updates about Sevilla. We do get the return, however, of Anthony Martial. Um, And I I wanted to bring this up because I saw it talked about on Twitter a little bit um, that maybe Martial would just slot in and replace uh, Rashford on the left. But it kind of, I get the feeling from Polly that because you tweeted about this, but maybe Nathan too, that like by this point, it seems like Martial is more useful as a striker and playing off the left wing. It, th- this idea that he would offer the same thing that Rashford does just seems outdated. Yeah, they don't, they're not the same player anymore at all. It's not that they ever really were. They were always right. different, but I think they were. But both of them were together. used on the left. <laughs> yeah. yeah pretty regular. And yeah. And it's a, and, and the thing is, um, why would you do that? Why would you take Martial and play him on the left wing? Because who's your striker then? And if you're going to say, well, Weghorst, that's a problem because now you're, playing with an inferior left wing and a very inferior striker. And here's sort of the, here's the thing that Martial does as a striker is whether he's scoring goals or not. He, he links well with teammates. He brings others into the game. He, he, uh, as Brent said, he has that ability where the ball just sticks to him and he catches you. You pass it up to Martial. He catches it with his back to the center back and stands there and takes the hit, draws the foul, and now you've moved the ball all the way up the pitch. And he does that in the box. That's how he won the penalty against City earlier this year. Like um, People talk about 
how United aren't winning penalties anymore. They are winning them at the same rate in the games that Martial plays that they were before Jurgen Klopp made his comments. So Martial's just played a lot fewer matches than that. And they, they, you know, they don't do the same things in the box. They don't have players that draw fouls and have the ball stick to them, et cetera. Um, the argument for Valt Weghorst was, all right, we don't need that focal point number nine, get in the box. We're going to provide you service the way that, you know, Edinson Cavani was, or Zlatan or Cristiano Ronaldo were, um, where you have wingers whose job it is to feed the striker. It was, he's going to do the other things. He's going to make runs to open up space, hold up play, etc. And Weghorst's best ability so far has just been his work rate and his workhorseness, um, his ability to do those things. Um, leading the press defensively, willing to come all the way back to help out defensively. In attack, he has not been that guy. He hasn't been good at holding the ball up. He hasn't been good at grabbing, you know, you make the pass up to him and the ball sticks to him. He hasn't been good at turning. When he gets the ball turning and playing, you know, making combinations with his teammates or playing in Rashford behind. And you could say that the numbers are, you know, United are, good with him but like those are really in comparison to how they were with Ronaldo which not hard to be better than they were with Ronaldo let me pull them up right here um they they actually like at this juncture they are actually scoring slightly more since Weghorst signed in the league they're they're scoring slightly more um when he's not playing they're getting more shots same quality of shots um, it's a a higher XG when Weghorst isn't in there than when he is. But when you look at other players, namely Marcus Rashford, since he's your best player, your biggest player, the guy that the attack is built around, um, you want to do things that allow him to thrive. And like Anthony Martial allows Rashford to thrive. He's very good when he's playing next to him because Martial does link well and he creates space and allows Rashford to run in behind, etc. Um this year as a left wing, Rashford's got nine goals, two assists. As a striker, he's got six and two, all of this in the league. It's very even in terms of goals and assists per 90.82.75. There uh there's about 300 more minutes as a left winger than as a striker. He only has two goals. Um, when Weghorst was playing striker. Only two of those nine goals as a left wing came when Weghorst was playing as a striker. Both of those left wing assists have been to Anthony Martial. So like when he's out on the left wing, he's not really producing and Weghorst isn't doing enough to allow him to thrive, which is part of the reason why United have been struggling recently because they've been relying on uh, Weghorst as a striker. And it's part of the reason why Ten Hag has been moving Weghorst to the number 10 and Rashford up top because he's just like, I don't really have enough players. I have to make do with what I have. So, and, and if you look back to two years ago when Edinson Cavani came, like Martial greatly struggled when Cavani was on the left wing or when he was on the left wing and Cavani was the striker. The team itself didn't play well with that front three. Uh, it it just, see, it you're taking away all of Martial's strengths to accommodate a player who offers you almost nothing 
Whereas you're probably much better off just leaving Marcial as your center forward and having a back, the three guys behind him be some combination of Bruno Fernandez, Jaden Sancho, Anthony. Um, and now you also have Christian Erickson if you want to use him there. If you want to go with that 4 3 3 and use Scott McTominay or Fred, that's an option. Um, Yeah, I, I think Jane Sancho on the left uh, seems like the obvious choice if you're going to go with Martial through the middle. Um, well, Jaden Cook. Right. And uh, well, I think we saw from his uh, his assist for McTominay that, you know, those those are the areas where he is really dangerous, is, you know, when he has that freedom to move around the box. Um, and he's useful against teams that are, um, you know, Everton didn't go with a low block for most of that game. But in that situation... Um, they had a lot of bodies in front of the ball or with the ball in front of them, and he was still able to pick out a pass. So um, I, I guess kind of moving on to Sevilla, uh, I'm not totally sure what kind of game that's going to be, but I would assume with Casemiro coming back into the fold, Christian Eriksen back in the fold now uh, and able to play regularly, United could expect to have a lot of the ball because Sevilla are a team that are struggling greatly in a league that is not very good. Um now, that isn't to say that we should underestimate them or anything like that, but um But we shouldn't go into hysterics either. As United yeah. fans tend to do every time they make a draw in the Europa League, it's always, oh, that team's doing well. And it the, the Europa League draw tends to come like right around or or the first leg tends to come right around a match where like United drop points for no reason. And it's like, well, that team's fifth, or that team's fourth, or they're off to a good start. And you know, or they got us. They got twice. us last time. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. we're making well, some look, narrative. Man. We're making some narrative where we're not as good. Where we're we're saying we're not as good as we as we actually are. And then United just go in there and they sleepwalk through a match and win three two nil or four nil. I mean, previously we've lost to Sevilla once, despite the fact that both teams' rosters are different. Um, Sevilla's sporting director is different now, and I believe they have a different manager since that game, but we lost to him once. So we lost to him once to in a match where we outplayed them significantly, and we lost because a 19-year-old left back made a mistake. Like, and and that's the thing is play that as if if you go if that tournament is played as it should be, uh over two legs. Do you not I, I can't say for sure that United win that tournament, win that. Uh, win that tie maybe you know the same thing happens because it is football and that can happen but if you play that game twice odds are good United would have gone through yeah I mean I I would I would rather have two legs I, I, I do have a question for you guys because we're getting a home leg first and then second leg away which of those formats do you guys prefer I know with away goals it's a little bit different now but I kind of prefer well, the way goals. I kind of prefer goals gone. There's no reason to not want the second game to be at home. Yeah, I, I kind of prefer that anyway. I like when the second legs at home. I the fact that like I mean they admit that it's a bit of an advantage because if you win your group, you're guaranteed in that first tie to play the second leg at home. So they're already admitting that it's a bit of an advantage. Um. So obviously you would rather the second leg be at home. Um, in this particular case, you know, maybe United come out and 
take care of business, but we we know what that's going to entail. Like they can go out and win this win that win this match five nil. We could we could still sit here and name the starting eleven for what the second leg will be, unless unless they go up five nil and Bruno and Casemiro both take matters in their own own hands and like take off their shirts and get automatic yellow cards. <laughs> right, that is still a risk for them. Um, how do we feel about going into this game with Tyrell Malassia instead of Luke Shaw? I feel fine. Um, that's my somebody... analysis. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was talking to somebody at the at the bar about this. Um, Tyrell Malassia is really uh, a good example of how good Luke Shaw is. Because Tyrell Malassia is good. He's 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 fine. Like he has his flaws, but he's good. And he's competent. Young. And he's young. And the drop-off between Luke Shaw and Tyrell Malassia is massive. It's it's massive. And like as you know, someone was saying, yeah, but we have major drop-offs in other areas. And it's like, yeah, we have major drop-offs in other areas because the backup is not good. No, like not someone that you'd want. Tyrell Malassia, you say, oh, we we need to start Tyrell Malassia. I would say most fans are going to have exactly the reaction that Nathan had. Be like, all right, yeah, that's fine because he's a good player, but he's n- nowhere near the level of Luke Shaw. That's just, that is how freaking good Luke Shaw is. Yeah, and, and to be fair to Malassia too, I mean, he's in his first season with United and he's he's a shining example of this is the kind of player that we need to be going after this summer, finding the guys who are going to fill in and learn under our good players. So that way we don't notice a drop off eventually when they do come in and start playing more significant minutes. And even, I mean, with the price, because uh, that's part of what made him a good signing is that, uh, you know, for that sort of price, most main United summers, you kind of think of that as a throwaway transfer, but uh, it was investing in a younger player who was maybe a little bit under the radar for other clubs. And, you know, somebody who in four years time may be taking over for Luke Shaw at the end of his contract that he just signed. Um, he's 23 now. He'll be just a little bit younger than Luke Shaw is now in four years time. So, I mean, uh, that's that's a good prospect for the future as well as depth building. Well, when you um, put it that way. Proper recruiting, my son. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if he's gonna be, if he's gonna, if in four years he's gonna be, how good, like how old Luke Shaw is, eh, he might just be a backup for his entire career. But fullbacks get rotated pretty frequently because they right. have to because they they do some of the most running on the pitch. You know, they're they're so heavily involved in attack, build up, and and defense. Uh, so your backup fullback plays more than your backup at pretty much every position on the on the field. Um that you do need two good ones. And 16 million for a guy who's going to be a good 20 game a season starter, it's good business. Like that's not easy yeah. to find. And you you do yep. that and in four years you you look in your within your academy, maybe you have a prospect coming up or you just go and say, all right, we're going to sign now this left back it's it's very hard to sign a player um to be a backup 
So you, you have to either do it under the, you sign a veteran who knows what they're getting into or under the guise of like, Hey, we're bringing you in. You're going to compete for the starting spot. And Oh, it just happens to be that Luke Shaw happens to be world-class and he's going to, and he's going to keep you out of the starting 11. Not that you're keeping yourself out. Um, and you nickel and dime Porto all the way to the very end uh, to bring in Alex Tellers. Yeah. Speaking of well, Alex Tellers. But they should have nickel and dime. <laughs> the, the whole thing is they were totally justified in nickel and diming Alex Tellers. When they agreed to 12 million and Porto said, actually, you want 18. And they're like, nah, we're not doing that. And it turns out 12 might have been high. But like 18 definitely would have been high. Yeah. Speaking of Alex Tellez, uh, he is in the traveling squad for Sevilla uh, coming to Old Trafford. And <laughs> remember I, when we said Jordan Henderson couldn't play against us, but then we said that uh, Dean Alex Henderson. Could. Do you mean Dean, Dean Henderson? Henderson. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're in your and that, that backs up. Yeah. That backs up everything that I said. Like it ter- turns out that Dean Henderson's an asshole. And then we were like, yeah, we even tried to recall him in January. And he was like, no. So we were like, all right, cool. You can't play against us. And now you can sit on your ass while Kaylor Navas comes in and and takes up all your playing time. And now we're going to try to sell you. But, oh, God, we kind of just made it public that you're an asshole. Nobody's going to want you. Listeners, comment. um, Who do you which championship club do you think uh, Henderson's going to have to go play for next year to get minutes? Rotherham, because they're staying up. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So uh, we, we do have a couple questions submis- submitted to us uh, via the comment section of uh, a post on thebusbybabe.com. Check it out for all your Man United needs. Um, but we are not affiliated with thebusbybabe.com. Yeah, this is the Fergie Fledglings podcast. Yeah, no, we just take uh, questions. But from if other you comment on the BusbyBabe.com, we will see it. And if yeah. you ask questions, we will address them if they're good. We're, we, we're, know, we're, we know those guys. We're not, we're not affiliated, but like we're affiliated. You know, we're like like Belarus. <laughs> <laughs> they're not lights. They're not lightsabers, but they're lightsabers. We're gonna yeah. use geopolitics. Uh, for current events to describe our relationship with the Busby babe. Um, So anyway, the question is, uh, first question, considering only this season, who is more important to the win-loss record of Manchester United, Eric Tanag or Casemiro? Um, I did uh, some half-assed internet research, uh, and turns out somebody else kind of looked up the, the record part of this for us already. So in 13 games started in the Premier League, uh, this was published in mid-March, by the way. In 13 games started in the Premier League, United lost once with Casemiro. They conceded 0.8 goals per 90. Uh, They faced nine shots per 90, and they picked up 2.3 points per game. In the 10 games where he did not start, four of those were defeats. They conceded 1.9 goals per game. They faced 16 shots per 90. And they picked up just 1.5 points per game. So uh, obviously Casemiro is very important. Uh, that's something we all knew already. But in terms of comparing his importance to Eric Tenag, if you, the, the second part of the question: If you were gonna, if you had to pick one of them to be suspended the whole year and could not talk to the team, who would it be? So, I mean, it's it's Casemiro because, uh, I, like, you'd pick Casemiro to be suspended, or you'd pick. 
you'd pick Casemiro to, to be the one involved. In yeah, that. I think a team without a manager is pretty. Either or question. Pretty yes. <laughs> I think, I, yeah, I, I think a, a team without a manager is in a pretty bad spot, regardless of who they have in midfield. So I would rather have Eric Tenog for a full season than Casemiro. I guess we can just look to last spring to answer the question of will we rather not have Eric Tenog as our manager? Okay. Well, Nathan. No, I would, I would, that's... I, I disagree with you guys. I would okay. go, I would, I would, if, if one of them had to be suspended the whole year, I would, I would suspend Tenog. For this season. So, what uh, in this situation is Mitchell Vandergag the the manager? Then in the, all right. So here's so let's paint the situation. Everything this, this is, is exactly like, this is like the Saints in 2013 or whatever. Basically, Sean Payton. Was everything not there. everything is exactly as is. The team that we have now, the the team that we have in place now, um, or the team that we had like what that we had in place at the end of the transfer window is um is is the team that we're dealing with but day one i would i would take casemiro well now that we set the parameters i mean <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i don't want to remember life without casemiro and i believe there's a brent tweet to support that somewhere i i'd trust mvg for a year i guess with casemiro yeah I, well here's the thing is Michael Carrick in a room with Casemiro? It's, it's it's a people are going to be Casemiro's been suspended twice now during uh United's like very easy runs. Uh, they played a bad Leeds team twice, they played Palace, uh, they played uh, an atrocious Leicester team, and now they've they've played uh, a really bad Everton team and a bad Brentford team. They squirted, they squirmed by. Leads. They beat Leeds one out of two times, and it took until the last 10 minutes of the second game to do so. They were atrocious against Leicester. They um, barely beat a bad Brentford team or a, a plucky Brentford team, but a Brentford team who had no interest in playing. And they beat handily a very bad Everton team. Um, and that's going to give people a lot, a big sense of we would figure it out without Casemiro but like you look at the rest of the season we really it's it's dicey we don't really have the players to do that and there's only so much a manager can do and the truth of the matter is the manager doesn't do as much as we think he does like Sir Alex Ferguson obviously the answer we always use but the example we always use but United's Tactically, under Fergie, United were only as good as whoever the number two was. And Fergie was really there for the... He didn't really run training. He was there for the man management and really instilling the hunger to keep winning or the fear of losing. Um, When things weren't going, you know, things weren't going well under Solskjaer, but like all the, you know, the reports were, oh, Solskjaer's not that involved in training. That's done uh, with Michael Carrick and and Karen McKenna, and then people therefore decided, oh, let's blame those guys, who turns out they're doing a fantastic job. They have both taken uh, teams in the lower divisions and um, have brought them right up to the promotion ranks in their first seasons in charge. So the manager, like, if you, 
Yeah. Like the assistant manager, I think can survive because they're already doing so many of those, so many of those tasks on the day to day that give me the assistant managers who are more involved than we know and that we think they are with the best players than your head guy missing a big hole in the squad. Steve McLaren, by the way, was the assistant manager for the second half of the treble winning season. Um, he was also the England number two under Sven Jorn Eriksson, um, which had some interesting tactical uh, adjustments to the way England you mean typically four, four, played. Yeah, uh, more more in terms of the personnel used rather than the um, Gerard the, and the base formation in midfield. <laughs> well, Paul Scholes on the wing. I think was one of them. Joe Cole played as a winger. Um, it's like playing Bruno on the wing. What the hell? No. Yeah. Joe Cole, Bruno by the way, the wing. scored an absolute screamer against Sweden in the 2006 World Cup. Uh, so if you haven't seen that, go look that up. Um, should, should we move on to the next part of the question? I wasn't sure if Polly answered that thoroughly enough. Or are we all satisfied with that? I, I think we all want Casemiro. If I were to take you guys were both like, oh, we want Ten Hag. Well, the the question was, look, I'm selfish. I'm <laughs> not giving up either of them. I love them both. Look, if if we have an interim in place and it's Mitchell Vandergag, then I think I'd take a year without Eric Ten Hag. It's hard though because. Like Nathan mentioned last year, and I I understand what you're saying, Polly, when it comes down to the role of a manager. But I do think that it's a little bit underplayed the importance of a manager, that relationship with the squad, and the ability to keep things running. I think Eric Ten Hag this year, as opposed to you know what we saw last year in terms of just anyone coming in who had some sort of tactical acumen or experience as manager. I mean, Eric, Eric Ten Hag's grasp of the culture within the squad was something that was noticeable within the first few months. And I, I think especially the way that he handled the Cristiano Ronaldo situation. Um, I, I think having somebody who is able to monitor and manage the egos as well as the football side of wow. things is maybe a little bit underrated. I guess a smaller a Ten- smaller piece for the question too is, um, you know, when t- if Ten Hag's suspended for a year in the in the situation, like is he suspended from all club activities because we've seen him now start to take a larger role with the youth team as well, and you know that's not affecting what's happening next for next week's game, but it's certainly going to affect what's going to happen in two, three, four, five years from now. <laughs> and, and also, why is he why is he suspended? I think is an important <laughs> thing. <laughs> He put a bounty on some players. I do have some but, concerns. If either person's suspended, I do not want them probably to come back. Right. Part of the part of the lack of culture in that because it's it's not like the results got any worse in the second half of the year last year. I think they actually improved a bit. Uh part of the lack of culture in that squad is because you also like along with Ralph Ragnick came Chris Armis and a bunch of who and players and people that that 
the players did not take seriously. And, and Ragnick was open about how he wanted Carrick to stay and that he didn't want to lose Karen McKenna and things beyond his control happened. And how much easier is it to like, I think what would be interesting would be if United qualified for the champions, League, how does the Ronaldo situation go down this season? Because what made Eric Tenog's job a lot easier was Ronaldo publicly saying, I want to leave publicly flirting with every club in the champions league, not showing up to, um, to not showing up to the preseason where, you know, that those deals got done being like United were promising a Ronaldo appearance. And then he didn't show up. That cost the club money. Um, leaving early from the game. Like Ronaldo mate did everything possible to allow Ten Hag to basically be like, look, I can't play him. Ragnick wanted to drop him and didn't. And then it was like that game, he scored a goal and they're like, you see, that's why he has to stay in the team. And thus he stayed in the team. Um, so I think circumstances help Ten Hag out. And I'm not trying to take, you know, things away from him. I, but I do think that I, I, I think Eric Ten Hag has come in with, with great timing as to when he got the, the United job, which really allowed him to thrive early. Um, not that he's not a brilliant manager and a brilliant person and he's not doing a fantastic job, but like everything was there for him to jump right up right away. And, and he had, and every obstacle that's been thrown in front of him, he has handled brilliantly. He's also had every tool in his pocket to be able to handle said, said obstacles, including Casemiro. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. So we're going to move on to the next question now. Um, so this one is what is our record this year with a Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the current roster. So including Casemiro, Erickson, uh, Malasia, et cetera, or B Eric Tenog and last year's roster. So this one is framed a little weird in, in terms of like record, because I'm not, it's like, it's a little bit easier to do that with like NFL where I think it's, I think it was like, I think it's supposed to be like, what would our record have been last year if Ten Hag took over? Right. So, and, but I I mean, the way that he framed it, it seemed like if Eric Ten Hag was in charge from the start last season, whereas if Eric Ten Hag came in in November when things were bad, um, I think my answer would be a lot different than if (laughs) Eric Ten Hag came in at the start of last season. I think the only thing I'm curious about is, I'd like to see Pogba play a game or two under Ten Hag, but I think in that, um, here in that let's, scenario, let's parameters. I, I, I'd much rather just have Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer coach this team because this team is better than last year's team. At least I, I also let's, don't. Let's want set to let's watch set parameters here. <laughs> let's set parameters here. It's all the player, decision, like all the player moves, like Ten Hag takes over game one of last season is when he starts his United career but all the player moves are the same so they signed Sancho they signed Veron they signed Ronaldo and with Solskjaer you have to look at it as he is not still the United manager is let's say he had never been the United manager and Ali Gunnar Solskjaer is appointed as the new manager on day one this season and the same player right. signings happen <sighs> So, like, a big part of this for me is Cristiano Ronaldo. Because some of the most miserable I've ever been watching this team was when it was all about getting the ball to Cristiano Ronaldo. 
And that includes games this season when he played under Eric Tanakh. Um, in terms of what I'd rather watch, I'd probably rather watch this current team, regardless of who the manager was. Uh, and, you know, uh, we feel more positively about Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer's time as manager than many other people. I don't know if it would have. I don't know if it would have gone as well in terms of you know winning a cup and getting this far in the others while maintaining a top four place as it has with Eric Tenog. And I don't really want to go out on a limb and say he would do any better or the same job, but I would rather watch that than Eric Tenog with. La- everything last year, including Cristiano Ronaldo, the Mason Greenwood situation, all the problems in midfield, counting down until Pogba leaves. I don't I don't think I would want to experience that again. You don't think if, if Solskjaer got the cup draw that Tenag got, we would have won a trophy? I, I think, uh, look, we, we know that he can go far in cup competitions. He did that pretty much every year. Um I don't know. I, I could see them still winning the, the Carling Coca-Cola Carabao Cup. Oh, for sure. I could see it going either way. I could yeah. see him winning it and I could see him getting another frustrating like we should have won that but we didn't win. I don't yeah. I don't think he would have slipped. Like his knockouts in the semifinals came against um, Manchester City, Manchester City and a top four Chelsea. So in this Tenog only faced one top four team, and that was Newcastle. So you could you could say that that goes the same way. Like as you go look at that Chelsea match comparatively to the Newcastle match, and it, that Chelsea match went off the rails when uh, Bai was Bai got hurt. Um, they started in the back three, and it was oh like yeah, that they were. He got sent. He got sent off, didn't he? No, he got hurt, and there was like a five minute delay, and like, and then they yeah had to sub him off like a minute before halftime. There were ten and, minutes of stoppage time in the first. Yeah, half. and they scored right before halftime, and then De Gea had a howler right after halftime. Does but, like, someone it was obvious get sent off the, in that match? Or, so. or am I just like adding that to keep me from wanting to revisit it? I don't think so. Um, I do. I I think. I don't think United's record changes last year if you if Eric Tenog is in charge of this team. Um, and I was very clear about that last season. I was like, go ahead, hire whoever you want. No one's winning with this team. And and I that's how dysfunctional the team was and how improperly built it was. You, they they we said it we said it before Ronaldo signed. Uh in the games against Southampton and Wolves, which was after Ronaldo signed, but before he played and joined the team was midfield's a problem here. And then Ronaldo's signing only made the midfield have to be a larger mid cover more midfield and exacerbate the problem. And like we touched on earlier in the show and with Wout Weghorst, like Ronaldo's style is not conducive to the style of, um, of Marcus Rashford or of Mason Greenwood or of anybody else that they had there. Um, so I, it, it, even if you drop him, which you could, I don't think you could, um, 
there's other factors at play here. As we know, Ragnick wanted to drop him and couldn't. Solskjaer dropped him once, and it was the biggest story in the world um, that Solskjaer was just resting him for a game. There's there's clearly other factors at play here for more than one person in the squad. There's like there's a reason that a new manager came in, that two new managers have now come in and have had no attachment to him, have both almost critic like openly criticized him and been like, your style is terrible. Uh, or I don't think Tenog openly criticized him, but we did see the training match or the preseason match where he was like, what the fuck is that? Um, and neither one of them have given a backup goalkeeper a sniff of action um, between Ragnick and Dea, and uh, not Dea, and and Ten Hag. Neither one gave the backup a sniff of action despite having no allegiance or anything to, to Dea. There's, and I've heard rumblings about it. I, I haven't heard anything, you know, clear cut, but it, there's rumblings that like there's more at play and there probably is. So you're probably not benching him. Um, if Solskjaer takes over this team day one, I don't know if their record's any better, but their goal difference definitely would be. I don't. They they did score. I, I mean, they scored it, a lot under Solskjaer. It's I'm not yeah, even yeah. looking at the goals that they scored under Solskjaer. Um. I'm looking, they, they I'm looking at the defense. I'm looking at the defense. Like, yeah, they they might not lose that match. They might not lose that match to there's there's a bunch of matches that I could circle as to say I don't think they lose this. Um, I don't know if they win it. And there's some matches that United that they have won this season that I'd be like, well, I don't know if you know that one could have been a a loss or draw. They might not lose that opening match to Brighton. They definitely don't lose four 0 to Brentford. The next match, and I don't, and I don't think they'd lose six three to City, um, or, and they probably don't get killed against the the Arsenal match. Could have been a lot different. Could have been a lot closer. The the second one, um, having Casemiro, and I don't is, think they, I, I don't think they lose seven nil to Liverpool with having, Casemiro, nonetheless. Yeah, having Casemiro is kind of an X factor in some of these games. Um, in a lot of these games, like you could say the defensive Solskjaer, organization you, under Solskjaer for his first couple seasons was kind of his focus. I mean, when it came to superb, he, it he was got, superb. yeah, when he got his first, um, you know, here's 200 million pounds, which players do you want? He prioritized getting defenders in players. He knew he could trust from the opening match of the season and it worked. Um, you know, uh, people have plenty of thoughts about who that he identified, but for those first two seasons, Harry Maguire was absolutely vital to the United's back four to the point that they fell apart when he wasn't there. Um, the second season, some of those games kind of brought that reputation of his into question. I think the five nil against Liverpool is the one that really that sticks the out. Third season. That's the third. Yeah, season. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Third season. Um, but it, it was kind of United already in the process of falling apart as well as, Liverpool last season were one or two goals away from being one of the greatest teams of all time. And when you can say that about them, that means they already were, you know, close to one of the best teams of all time. I mean, that Liverpool You're also side they also had Ronaldo. Like really, I think you throw really away everything. <laughs> I think you throw away everything with Ronaldo the same way that you kind of throw away 
all the games in the first half of the season where Ten Hag, where Ten Hag had Bernardo. Right. Like they laid an egg against Aston Villa, and people will be like, "Well, that's because they had to play with Ronaldo." Like, eh, all right, if we're throwing it out because of Ronaldo, it also might be because they had to play with Ronaldo and Donny Van de Beek in that match, which is basically playing nine men. Um, if we're throwing those away, like you throw away that 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 half season under Solskjaer, like which is why I don't think Ten Hag would be any more successful with that team last year. His first two years, though, the defensive organization, uh, they they conceded the second fewest goals in the league that second season, and they gave they conceded twelve goals in their first three games. Take away those three games, and they stopped conceding. They basically stopped conceding goals except on set pieces, which they conceded a ton of, um, and that's a problem. This team, this year, concedes a lot of goals on set pieces. Not as many, but a lot on the higher end of the league. Um, so I do think that where the knock was that Solskjaer like relies too much on individual brilliance, like Ten Hag very much relies on the individual brilliance of Casemiro and the individual 1v1 defending of Varane and Lissandra Martinez. Um it's very, his system is very reliant on them. Whereas then he's able to throw more people forward and have more, you know, patterns in possession. It's, it, it's equal it, as we could see when you take Casemiro out of the team, it becomes a big detriment. So I, I do think he'd be able to come in and even, even in those early days, be like, this is how we're going to line up. We're going to play. We're going to be compact. We're going to, and you get a Casemiro suspension against Arsenal and he'd be like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. It would. So I think there'd be fewer goals against if he was here, which maybe helps you nick a result here or there. Um, maybe not. Maybe, maybe instead of conceding, I don't think they maybe maybe instead of conceding six to city, they concede two, but they only score one. Um, Maybe same with Arsenal. Like maybe they lose one nil, two nil, or two one. Uh, two nil against Liverpool instead of seven nil. But I, I do think they concede far fewer goals and have a better goal difference because of that. Nathan, I don't want to think about last year anymore. I don't like this question. Thank you That's, for submitting it, listener. Yeah, uh, we we appreciate all listener questions. Which once again, you can submit through our third party site, the Busby Babe. Um, which is is not officially affiliated with us, but uh, we're cool with them, and they'll retweet us. So, yeah. yeah. And by the way, is. by the way, Harry Maguire not too shabby this season. Like United have won ten in a row with him in the eleven. I and... think there's a way back for him back into the team because at this point, I think we're able to kind of question whether Rafael Varane's, um fitness is gonna dip off it's about that time isn't it yeah, yeah. also but um, also i mean it's it's good to just have d- multiple defenders you can trust and i think you know if they can split those reps uh as they say in american sports that shouldn't be too hard to do take a wild guess at who has the at who has the lowest goals against the team's goals against when they're on the pitch of all of our center backs this season per 90. Luke Shaw. Center backs. 
Uh, Luke Shaw as a center back, yes, it would be him, but he's only played <laughs> aside from he's played Manchester City and then like the worst of the teams. Uh is it Harry Maguire? It is Harry Maguire. Harold? The last the last league goal. Oh, look, it's a small sample size, but like it's slightly larger than Victor Windelov. And um it despite being a small sample size, that would mean it can skew very easily and he gave up six goals in his first three the, the teams the team conceded six goals in the first three halves of football that mcguire played this year and they have not conceded one when he's been on the pitch since in the league yeah people just don't it's like, like we've been yelling into a void dude yeah oh yeah well like i i think of that arsenal game when because uh, we've, we've talked about this before we've had lengthy conversations on why you know, the perception of him as kind of goofy and lanky affects people's perception of his defending. And when he comes in and he fouls that guy in the Arsenal game because Casemiro gave the ball away, stopping what could have been, you know, a direct shot on goal, people were like, oh, here's Harry Maguire. He came you know, in and immediately fumbling, got a yellow. Fumbling he turned, and immediately he turned the wrong yellow. way and he pulled yeah. the guy down. But, no, but yeah, like, it, was... it was a tactical foul. <laughs> right. And it was and it was done because his midfield just left him completely isolated with a brutal mistake. Yeah. Oh, kind of kind of like when the perception of him started to dip down because his midfield was letting him down left, right, and center. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I it, it is nice when he comes into a game and you realize it's like, oh wow, like Harry Maguire actually passes the ball forward and not side to side. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. A couple weeks ago, he I guess it was the FA Cup match when he started and there were these two people in the bar. They were just like, can we at least play Lindelof? Like at least Lindelof passes forward. It was like Maguire made like one back pass and they're like, at least Lindelof passes forward. Like Maguire, it's always this. <laughs> My brother Maguire, Chris, can we Maguire show you Maguire passes forward. Run? A higher percentage of Maguire's passes are forward. It's the highest percentage of all the center backs on the team. He passes forward more than Martinez does. Dude, my, my favorite part is when we're trying to play out of the back and mcguire gets the ball and he looks forward and no one no one's there so he's like why don't i carry the ball forward and then try and play i think that's pass. why he's not in the team as much i think that's the no. reason i think it's because tenog does not want the ball carried forward because it's slow and it allows the defense to collapse on you and and that happened against everton was like he had a situation like that where he just carried it forward and then it was like Sort of gave it to Juan Masaka, and it actually almost went out of bounds. But it was it like, also there's nothing to do here, and it's because oh yeah, now there's nothing to do because I just brought the ball here. Whereas passing moves it quickly and makes people move, etc. And so, and McGuire's passing through there isn't fantastic. He's got that long pass like on lock, and he's got the control and and the carrying but not so much like the thread the needle pass. So it's like, if you're not going to do that and Veron's not going to do that, Veron's the better defender def like at defending. So I think, I think that's part of what's kept him out of the team. It also kind of increases the distance between the back line and De Gea. If you have both McGuire and Martinez willing to kind of drive forward, um, which is something that they've tried to uh, avoid this season. But yeah. Right, but cool that if... just means that just means more work for your midfield because the forwards are high and the defense is low. You're asking your midfield to cover a lot more ground, which again would not really work if you didn't have Casemiro. And it was something that did not happen 
in those first two years under Solstar. It was very compact. No one had to defend too much space. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us uh, this week. We may be back Thursday after the first leg. Uh, That is TVD, but um, glad to get this episode out. Also, if you haven't checked it out yet and you are interested, the uh, episode I did with Marty about the Manchester United women's team came out yesterday. So uh, we're hoping to try and do more regular episodes on the Man United women's team. They play in the FA Cup semifinal this weekend at Lee Sports Village. Uh, that's on Saturday, I believe. Um, so, yeah, they are also playing Brighton in the FA Cup semifinal, who the Man United men will play in um, is it two weeks' time or so. So, uh, yeah, hoping for silverware on both fronts. And thank you for listening. We will see you next time. <laughs>